How many of you had a great Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Yes, awesome. We did as well. So it was a, a good time to remember a time of Thanksgiving, which is actually the way that we're supposed to be every single day. Amen? Thanksgiving is a, is a way of life for the believer. Amen? Say amen to that. All right? You know, it's hard to be depressed when you're thankful. Did you know that? It's hard to be grumpy when you're thankful. So thankfulness is, is really not optional in the believer's life. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, there's this progression that talks about that when you, when you stop giving glory to God, that your foolish heart becomes darkened. So it actually, thankfulness is more than just a good idea. It's a key that keeps your spiritual eyes enlightened. It's a key that keeps your mind uh, heavenly focused. Does that make sense? So I just want to encourage you as we come out of Thanksgiving week not to just, don't stop being thankful, right? You know, wake up every morning thanking God for your breath, thanking God for your eyesight, thanking God for your, you know, position in Christ. There's always things to be thankful for. Awesome. Well, I want to just continue today on a topic that we've been covering for some months now. And uh, for those of you that are maybe first-time guests or haven't been here, we've been going through as a congregation the book Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. Um, Danny Silk is one of the pastors. He's the family life pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California. And he's also written a couple of other books. He's written, I recommend all of Danny's books. He has another book called Culture of Honor, which is an amazing book about um, the culture of the kingdom and how it's based upon honor. Uh, there's some great book. There's a great um, chapter in that book that talks about um, the fivefold ministry from Ephesians 4 pa- pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets, and who am I missing? Pastors. Ha! Always miss the pastors because um, I'm not one. <laughs> but um, what? You're not a pastor? No, I'm not. I, I planted a church, but I'm not a pastor. Um, I'll let you chew on that one. If you read the book, you'll figure out which one I am. Anyway, so it talks about those five ministry gifts and how their job is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. Their job is to empower the body of Christ to come into the fullness of the stature of what Jesus is so that they look like Jesus, they talk like Jesus, they do the same works that Jesus do, and they're out of the church doing the work of the ministry, right? And it's a great book because it talks about how Bethel has built that team and how they've sustained revival and supernatural culture for all of these years through, under a five-fold model. So that book I highly recommend as well. But we are focusing, he has another book called um, Loving Your Kids on Purpose, which is an amazing book about parenting. I don't really say it's about parenting because when I read the book, it's just about relationships. You know, and really all of Danny's books are about relationships. He really specializes in relationships. Keep your love on is a book all about relationships. And I think that's imperative. Uh, Here's what he says here. Um, Let me just read this, the introduction from him. It says, relationships are vital to becoming a whole person. He says, I wrote this book to help people build, strengthen, and heal their relational connections. This has been my personal mission statement for the last 20 years. So Danny, I, I would say, is probably one of the most anointed experts, if you will, on relationships and relational connections, how to, how to keep them healthy and how to, in this case, keep your love on, keep the love flowing in your relationships. And so I don't know about you, but the holidays is one of those times when I feel like this book is probably as relevant as any time, right? Because you end up, you know, uh, mingling with your family, you, you, you go back home or, you know, family members come to you for the holidays and my goodness, I mean, some family members are walking with the Lord, some aren't walking with the Lord, some are obnoxious, right? Some are, um, there you go, there you go, there you go, okay? But regardless, you know, and sometimes I'll just say this too, going back home, going into our our home environments, the dynamics and the way that we interact with our family, you know, as believers, we should be different. And you know, our family actually is the one place that is almost like the best testing ground of how much our lives have been transformed, right? And we can tell sometimes by our inner life what goes on in our, through our family dynamics. 
just how much wholeness we're actually walking in, right? So relationships are also a really good litmus test of where am I on this mind renewal process? How much of my mind has been re renewed? You know, Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I talk about this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. And that is the same root that we get metamorphosis from, as in, you know, the, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But more than that, it's the same root word that was used in but translated differently in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. At the Mount of Transfiguration, the Greek word metamorpho was translated, transfigured, or trans, he was transfigured before them. So Romans 2 could have said, don't be conformed to the world, but be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. All right? So the whole Christian walk after we awaken to the fact that Jesus died on the cross and was you know, raised again so that we could be placed inside of Christ. The whole rest of your Christian experience, from the moment you wake up to that reality, wow, okay, Jesus is Lord, I'm now a child of God, I've, I'm, I'm saved, which it's a terrible, when we talk about that word saved, we, everyone in, that grew up anywhere, most Christian places, thinks about it being saved from hell. You know, maybe we think about it being saved from sins, like our sins are forgiven or our sins are covered. That's not the new covenant perspective of that. Sin, your sin nature was eradicated. Your sin nature was nailed to the cross. You were, it was crucified with Jesus. It was done away with, and you were given a new nature, a righteous nature, and you are now of the same DNA and the same material as Jesus Christ himself. Where? Well, in the spirit realm, <laughs> in everywhere but your renewed mind right? And so mind renewal is not optional. Mind renewal is what the Christian life is actually about. It's about what was done to you by Jesus being seen, being manifested through you so that the church, which is the body of Christ, actually looks like Jesus, you know, now we have Photoshop and some of these crazy programs. Like I have this little thing on my iPad. We were at Lily's recital yesterday. It was so fun. But we had like two performances and a big long wait in between the performances. And so I have all these crazy apps on my phone that my kids download. And I was looking at one on my iPad and it was this makeup thing where you could like put crazy hair on pictures and stuff. And so like I pulled up this picture of Lily and I was putting crazy hair on Lily. She was so, it was so fun. But the point is she didn't really look like herself. Right? Like there was something, I mean, I put this crazy big old black bun on her, you know, and it was the point was Lily didn't look like Lily, right? And my point is, is that unless the body of Christ is actually transfigured, we're get, Jesus is going to be deformed. And so the image that, that, that the world sees is going to be a distorted image. And that, frankly, is where we live. <laughs> that is the, the, the decade, the, the, the century that we live in. We live in a, a world right now where the image that the world sees is not an accurate reflection of who Jesus is. And in the Gospels, you know, Jesus, that's why you have to have a new covenant perspective of the whole Bible. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, let's just go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and this, this is relevant to relationships. Because here's the point. Our relationships are supposed to be different. Our relationships with one another are supposed to be different. Our relationships with those that don't know Christ. I mean, you know how many Christians I know are hiding from the world? We're hiding. I mean, we don't send. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to say it. I don't even send my kids to public school. So I'm preaching to myself as much as everybody else. But we're terrified of sin. We're terrified of the world. We're terrified of it contaminating us and our families and our cultures. I mean, I can tell you now. I mean, and they're, they're real fears. They're real fields with real consequences. I mean, my kid, even in the Christian schools, dealing with stuff, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know how to deal with some of this stuff. I mean, you know, the spirit of rejection and the stuff that goes on. I mean, you know, you're like, oh, just hide them. Hide them and bury them. Hide them and bury them and hope they grow up and, you, you know, just pray. You know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, parenting is one of those areas where, you know, you, you, you do. You deal with 
with issues. But then, but there's relational things. There's relational things. And when you start to expose your, your, your children or, or yourself, I mean, in the workplace and things, how many, you know, we just, sometimes we just want to hide. We just want to hide. We want to be different. We want to separate. We, we close off. Matter of fact, God's been talking to me about the protected persona lately um, and how we, we create this protected persona that we are actually have guarded ourselves off from others. We've guarded ourselves off from the, maybe the closest people in our lives, but not only the closest people in our lives, all the scary people that are not in our lives, all those sinners and all the other people that we don't understand and that we, we judge. We judge as a way of, perform, uh, of protecting ourselves and our little place. But my point is, is that none of this looks like Jesus. That's my point. And so relationships are a huge part of the process. Um, let's go to Hebrews. and Let me read that scripture before I get lost. Uh, uh, because this is why a Christ-centric view of the Bible is so important. And this is why, I mean, people read, if you haven't really spent an enormous amount of time in the, the, the epistles, in, in the revelation of Paul, I mean, you know, even Jesus really didn't provide a revelation when he was in his earthly ministry of what was happening on the cross. And the apostles in Acts, the 12, weren't really getting it either. It was the Paul, it was Paul who had the revelation of what actually happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's Paul that talks about what it means to be in Christ. It's Paul that talks about things like there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ, that um, you know, he that is in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. It's Paul that talks about scriptures like, um, uh, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. Paul really is the one that not only wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but he's the one that really walked in the revelation of what Jesus was actually accomplishing. Why? Because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And so he could take all of the Old Testament and all of the Old Covenant prophecies and all of the the heritage and all of the rich history and all of the festivals and all of the the amazing, um, you know, just, just inheritance, really, of the Jewish people, and he could put it into the context of what Jesus actually fulfilled. And, and, and he, why? He was a scholar. <laughs> he was a scholar, and he was brilliant. And so Paul really helps interpret the whole Bible, right? And so what I find so many times is there's a lot of places in the church that really hasn't come into a new covenant revelation of what it means to be a Christian. They're still operating in a mixture of law. They're, they're operating in a mixture of, of some grace, but, but, but some law. And the, the problem with that is that it ends up infecting every area of our life uh, because it's a performance-based mentality. And so we end up with a performance-based mentality in every area of our life, including our relationships. And so we keep our love on towards others when they're performing well, especially when they're performing well towards me. Right? I can definitely keep my love on that. Right? If you're loving me, I can love you. But the moment you become unlovely, I shut it down. Right? So my love becomes really all about you rather than actually my love. <laughs> my love becomes other-controlled rather than self-controlled. Do you see that? And a lot of times we do, we, we do this, and, and judgment is one of the ways that we actually filter. It's a filter that we filter our love through. And so we judge people's hearts, we judge people's motives. I'm sorry, we discern. Let me, let me correct myself. We discern people's hearts and we discern people's motives and we try to, to act like we actually know who they are. Or we try to act like, you know, we know what they're thinking or we, we answer the question why. We know why they do that, right? And then especially for us inner healing people, you know, inner healing people have, you know, we can... We can trace why they do what they do back to, you know, the brokenness in their lives. And the point is, all of that is hogwash uh, because we're not called to do anything but love. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love God. 
<laughs> and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're called to do unto our neighbor as we'd like them to do unto us, not do unto our neighbor if they do unto us. Right? It's not a conditional, these aren't conditional commandments. Right? God's love is not conditional. And here's the thing. Jesus, if I can ever get my thing to work, I will have it work. Let me just see why it's not working. It's like a new version. They updated my Bible and I didn't know it. Okay, here we go. Um, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to go in the amplified version. Because see, Jesus is the exact representation of daddy. He's the exact imprint. You look at Jesus, you see daddy. Okay, you don't look at David and see daddy. You don't look at Joseph and see daddy. You don't look at, you know, Solomon's wisdom. Do you know Solomon's wisdom is not new covenant wisdom? Wow. We read the Proverbs and he's not born again. Solomon was not born again. I mean, in, in the new covenant, Paul said Jesus has been made unto us wisdom. Right? I mean, I'm not saying it's not common sense. I'm not saying it's not helpful. I mean, these are, I'm not, but so were the Chinese proverbs. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying that Solomon saw such a small facet of the character of God because he hadn't seen Jesus. Do, Do you see that? right? Um, And I'm not trying to diss Solomon, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that there's no value in it. I'm just saying, if you don't have the right perspective on it, it can be distorted. Do you understand? So we have to read the Bible. The foundation is Christ. The foundation is Jesus. It's the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. You know, and I used to wonder, I'd be like, God, you know, why do I have so much? I've had a grace for the New Testament like a crazy woman since I, since I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, just, could, I mean, just devour this stuff. And I mean, I, I, I honor and I, I mean, I, I read and I, I love, I love David because he was a man after God's heart. I mean, I love, I love the people in the Old Testament. I love them. I love the le- life lessons that they teach. And, and there's wisdom. I mean, all scripture is given for, you know, it's, it's inspired by God and it's, it's good for instruction. So I'm not saying that it's not good for instruction. But for me, this book, which is my iPad, this, this iPad with the Bible on it, the purpose of this is to know God. I read the Bible for a relationship. Right? I read it because knowledge puffs up. And that's, I believe, why Jesus cho- chose unlearned men. Because you start to put learned men in that mess they were walking in and give them some anointing. Oh, God. Mix the anointing with pride. Yeah, and it's going to be a problem. So I think that's why he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Is because, I mean, why do you trust the foolish with the anointing? That seems foolish. (laughs) You know? Um, But there's some things that we can learn about the nature of God and the nature of, of the character of God, but that only comes through the knowledge of Jesus. And then here's what it says. In Hebrews 1, it says, "...in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth." Okay? In many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth and in different ways. So lots of different ways we saw portions. God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. Now, Hebrews is kind of one of these mystery books. They aren't sure that who actually wrote it. A lot of scholars attribute it to Paul, but there's no like real proof of Paul as being the, the author. Um, but it, it, it's, Hebrews is a, it's a masterpiece of, of revelation, of, of like a comparison and an application of the temple worship system and Christ. And um, if you've never really read it or, or hung out in Hebrews, it's an amazing study. But it's, again, it's going to start to put things in a new covenant perspective. But here's what it says in verse 2. But in these last days... He has spoken to us in, the, in a person, 
in the person of a son. So he's not speaking us to a patriarch and he's not speaking to us through a prophet. He's speaking us to us through the son of God. And the son of God is the one here, it says, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things. Also by and through whom he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time he made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. Now talking about Jesus, verse 3, he is the sole expression, single expression, only expression of the glory of God. And then in the, it amplifies it. The light being, the outrain, or radiance of the divine. And it says he is the perfect imprint. If you could take the thumbprint of God, it would look like Jesus. He's the very imprint and the very image of God's nature. Upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by the his mighty word of power. It says, when he had, by offering himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Verse 4, taking a place and rank by which he himself became as much superior to the angels as the glorious name, title which he has inherited is different from and more excellent than theirs. Verse 5, for to who, to which of the angels had God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you, established you in an official sonship relationship with kingly dignity. And again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. So here's the deal. Before Jesus, there was no revelation of God as father, as Abba, as daddy, or as I say, if you're really mature, dada, right? Because real maturity is about dependency. It's about getting some depends, right? And regressing in our old age back to infancy and total dependence on God, right? But here's the deal. This, this image of God that comes through Jesus, if we don't have, I mean, if we really don't get that this is the character of God, we will have all kinds of wrong doctrines. All kinds of wrong doctrines. And all those wrong doctrines, by the way, form a foundation in our relationships. So don't think that the doctrine that you walk with and the way that you believe in the character of God and the nature of God and the way that he deals, is he dealing with us as he dealt with the Israelites? Is he dealing with us as he dealt with the the folks out in the wilderness? Is he dealing with us in the way that he that he he dealt with David after he killed someone? Is he is he is he dealing with how is he dealing? How, I mean, is God schizophrenic? I mean, what, what what how is he dealing with us? Because here's the deal: the way that we believe he deals with us will also be the way that we we deal with others. Now, sometimes we get that mixed up. <laughs> I'll just say sometimes we have a lot of mercy coming from God, but we don't have a lot of mercy for other people. Right? We have a lot of forgiveness coming from God, but we don't have a lot. The Bible tells us, I mean, even, even when Jesus taught in the Gospels, be clear, many of his teachings is like his audience is the Pharisees, and he's like pushing legalism to the max. He's pushing legalism to the impossible of the impossible to show that you cannot depend on the law. And so we take sermons like the Sermon of the Mount. We take different, we take things out of context in the gospel because we don't have a new covenant perspective of the Bible. And we don't recognize that the new covenant had not been established. Matter of fact, at the end of Jesus' ministry, and he does the Last Supper, he starts to sit down and says, this is, the, this is a new covenant. And this is the blood. There's a blood covenant that I'm making. I'm about to make a blood covenant with you. And he starts, you know, he starts revealing He's revealing sonship. He's revealing what it looks like to, to walk as a son. There's a lot of things that he's revealing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't read those things, but the context is really important. Otherwise, we'll take, hey, cut off your arm. How many Christians are really doing that? Pluck out your eye. Cut off your hand. I mean, what? If you sin with your eye, 
poke it out? Jesus, really? You want me, I'm supposed to poke it out? What, what do we do with that? We, we don't even, we don't, we, we like, we, we, that's the thing I also just love about Jonathan. Like he literally takes stuff like literally, like what does it actually say? What is the context in which it was set in? And what does it actually mean? Because here's the thing, the character of God as knowing it is important. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's all kinds of doctrines out there, penal substitution. There's crazy doctrines out here that people just take, just take it. I mean, I was, I mean, the stuff that I read on Facebook, like, I wish I could run sometimes. I mean, I just read it because I think the problem is so big. The problem is so big. The mind renewal problem in the American church is gigantic. I, thank God for God. Thank God for God. And I just think to him, you are so interesting that you use, you're going to use people. You're going you're gonna to use people to solve this issue when we're the one with the issue. But he's been doing that since the Bible began. He's been making the people with the issue the answer to the issue. It's like, wow. That is wisdom that sounds like foolishness. But we'll confound the wise. So, um, so keep your love on. I wanted to talk specifically about just, there's three chapters in this, three sections. There's multiple chapters. There's three sections in this book. And I'm really encouraging you guys to get it. Because to me, there is nothing worse. This is maybe my own opinion, but there's nothing worse than a confessing Christian who isn't, who isn't walking the talk. The damage that is done Is, 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 a, is damage to the character of God. How do I know? Because I didn't step foot in church for 20-something years because of it. You know, I had to, it took me a long time to wake up to the fact that I wasn't rebelling against God. I was rebelling against the church, and I was rebelling against Christians, and I was rebelling against a hypocritical perspective that had been presented to me of what the nature of God was. You know, it matters the way we talk. It matters the way we talk to one another. It matters the attitudes that we carry. The little, the way that we, it matters. Our body language, I mean, think these things matter. We're, we're the body of Christ. And it's not, it's not okay to work a miracle on Saturday and cuss somebody out on Tuesday. You know, and it's not, and I'm saying that this, it's not white knuckle it. It's not white knuckle it and hold that cussing in. I mean, I feel like cussing you out, but sister, I love you. You know? It's not faking it till you make it. Because God's not, that's not the character of God. God was not faking it till he makes it. He really loves the worst sinners. He really loves the most religious. He really loves those that have the least renewed minds. Amen? Matter of fact, he's dying on the cross, looking at the ones that crucified him, saying, forgive them, daddy, because they don't know what they're doing. You know, I, I even read, like, I was reading some things just recently. I mean, just the doctrinal debates and just the things that we, how we, how we interact with one another. And sometimes I comment, I observe, I'm a big observer right now in this season on Facebook. If you're not seeing a whole lot from me, it's because I'm just, I'm in a very interesting season. And I, uh, I like Facebook, though, because I get to observe it. I get to observe it, and I get to kind of see what's happening. But I remember I was looking at this whole thing, and, you know, it's like the persecuted Christian syndrome. That is the worst syndrome. Can we just lay that one down already? Like, I, 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 like our personal persecution is the worst that anything has ever happened. Like, I'm going through the worst thing that is ever. I get that it's real to you. I get that it's real to me. I get that this, the suffering is real, and I'm not trying to not have compassion on that. But we, it, there's, it's a symptom of a, lot, symptom of a larger problem. Because what Christians do is they end up separating from one another. So we separate. We, we're, we're, we're professional separators. 
We separate from people that are different. We separate from people that believe different from us. We separate from people that have offended us. We separate from, we, why? Because we judge. And lots of things, lots of things are going on. So I'm just, what's my point? The keep your love on message is one of the most important messages ever, ever, ever. We are in relationship with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, this is an eternal connection that we have. There, as a matter of fact, the separation is an illusion. And because we haven't been, I think a lot of times we, we, we don't even know enough to know where to start. I'm speaking from personal experiences. I mean, I remember the first time I picked up this book to read it, I was like, this is hopeless. Like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Like, this guy, it took him 20 years. You know, I'm like, this is, I mean, it was like the first time I think that I ever really saw, like, real health. I mean, real health. And so the three sections of the book are connection, communion, I'm sorry, connection, communication, and boundaries. And so for me, it's not enough that this, these, this is a theory, right? It's not enough, it's a theory. This has to actually become the way that you do life. That means in the, each little conflict that you come across in your daily life, you know how to keep your love on. And you know how to protect connections. I mean, God gave me a word for this body recently. And he said, you cannot grow faster than the relational connections. He said, if you grow faster than the relational connections that are in this body, you will outpace me and you will continue to have problems. All right, so the connections are everything. Here's the deal. The kingdom is a family. We were born again into a family. We were born again, we were placed inside of Christ and we were put in there with a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> the family of God got put in there, all dysfunctional, messed up crew. I mean, bam, put in there. Jesus is love, amen, for fit all that inside of him. Yeah, come on in, crazy. Come on in. Right? Jesus died for crazy. I saw, I heard a country song. Brian and I were at, um, at a, I don't like country really, but I'm, it's grown on me after the song. We were at Texas Roadhouse and we heard the song, God is great, beer is good, people are crazy. I thought, well, that's a good country song right there. I'm going to pick up a twang. I was like, that'd be a good prayer, big tagline for Prayer Mountain. It just made me laugh. You know, it just made me laugh. But that's, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I think you need beer because people are crazy. I think that's why God, God invented in the first place. But anyway, I digress. The point is, is that, <laughs> the point is, is that these relationships in the body of Christ, these relationships with our, with our actual family. I mean, yeah, people are, yeah, right? Yeah, raise your hand if you're a people. And, and yeah, then that makes, that means you too, right? The mind of Christ is the only sane mind. It's the only sane mind. And it says, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Where do you think that sound mind came from? From the mind of Christ. So to a certain degree, all of us are suffering from a form of insanity. I, can, I, can I, yeah, right? Right, you've been in church five minutes, you know it's true. You know, the bigger ones just hide it better. <laughs> I'm sorry, that got me tickled. That got me tickled. But, so connection, all right? I'm really gonna, I'm gonna stay on this thing till we just, till we start to operate in it, right? The connection component. You know, I love this section in the connection component where it starts talking about typically this is how we choose friends and we learn this even in elementary school. We choose those that choose us. Right? Because we, we, we are, we're not fans of rejection, right? Um, but guess what? That's not Jesus. Jesus isn't choosing 
so that he's not rejected. Jesus is choosing because he's love. So his motivation for every relationship is, is love. And so he's always choosing because he loves. And part of that word that God gave me for this body too was like, okay, one of it, and he, this is what he said. He said, protect relationships at all costs. Jesus said it this way. He said, there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for a friend. You know, ministry can be a facade. You know, where you're, you're ministering to people, you're doing something and you're, you're releasing the power of God and the revelation of God and the prophetic words of God and the, you know, all of these wonderful things, which is totally God. There's nothing, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But you don't really ever deal with this part which is where the rubber meets the road in the context of relationship. I was way more holy when I was single. I was way more, I was way more holy before I had kids. Right? I mean, the more relational exposure that you have, the more revelation you have of your holiness. <laughs> <laughs> or lack thereof, right? So it's very easy to have a protection persona. And it's easy to surround yourself with people that keep your holiness intact, right? Because my unholiness scares the bejesus out of me. And I'm afraid if I let this come up and out, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I'm going to fall apart. Maybe I'm going to go insane. Maybe I'm going to hurt somebody. Maybe I'm going to mess something up. I don't know. But guess what? Just because it's not coming out, doesn't mean it's not there. You're holy little people, right? And you're protected little places. Holy, 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 right? And so a lot of times what we do when we enter into a conflict or have some kind of situation rather than recognize that this is the exact thing that I actually need so that's what's in me that it doesn't look like Jesus can actually be seen so that I can actually repent. Wow, what a concept. By the way, it's not an altar call. It means to change the way you think, right? So maybe it reveals how I'm thinking wrong. Well, I didn't do anything. They did something. Well, it's not about what they did or didn't do. It's about how you are in it. It's about how you are in it. They slapped me across the face, okay. They cussed me out, okay. They took my wife. I don't know what they did. I don't know who they are. They talked behind my back. They, I don't know what they did. They stole money. They owe me money. They, I don't know what they did. I don't know who they are. Right? But Jesus has a way of being in all those situations. And you and I are called to be conformed, not to the image of the world, but to the image of Christ. Predestined, by the way. Right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is conflict is not bad. Like our, we need to renew, we need to repent of how we view conflict. We need to repent of that. Now I think the goal is, because I don't, I don't think conflict-free living is kingdom. I don't. I think the violent take it by force. I think conflict is where the kingdom expansion happens. I think there's a conflict with the kingdom of darkness. The war's been won, but the territory has not been occupied. And so the conflict exposes the darkness. Now I take it, it takes wholeness to get here, people. 
It takes a level of wholeness to be able to even look at this stuff. Because what happens is, is most of the time, conflicts end up doing something called a trigger. We've been talking about this on Sundays. And what ends up happening in conflict, typically, if you really want to know what's happening, you're not even having a conflict with the person you're actually in conflict with. You're actually reliving a past experience through the current conflict. And that person that you're in a conflict with is actually someone from your past that never got resolved. And life circumstances all the time are bringing up problems. They're bringing up issues. They're bringing up situations, circumstances that are opportunities. See, peace... You know, I mean, I get that peaceful circumstances are peaceful. (laughs) Goodness knows. I'm thankful for those times. It's like a break, isn't it? You know, we have peaceful circumstances. Everybody seems to be happy. No one's complaining. No one's crying. No one's out of control. You know, bill collectors aren't happen to hound me. Whatever. You you know, you get like a little reprieve for a moment. But that's not necessarily where you're growing. It's not necessarily where minds are getting transformed. Because repentance has to take place. And for repentance to take place, it means you've got to know you've got to repent. Right? And so that's where connection, I probably would not have called connection, connection, although I like connection. Maybe I would have called it another C. Maybe I would have added a C in here. I might have called it commitment. Because connection without commitment is not a connection. And guess what? Commitment is something we make. It's not something, and it's only you that can break it. Only you can be committed to a relationship. All right? And for a committed relationship to actually take place, truthfully, one committed person can transform a relationship. Matter of fact, I've been doing a lot of research. I have, I'm just working with some different people right now. That I'm just working through some different mental illness things. And I love that anyway, so it's awesome. It gives me opportunity to research and stuff. But, um, you know, I was just reading about um, some things just this week about living with someone who's suffering from different things, you know, and how that, how that affects the person that actually is in that relationship, you know, because you've got a spouse or you've got a mom or a dad or a sibling or someone who's struggling with some kind of mental problems, emotional problems. And these, I mean, you don't have to be schizophrenic to have emotional issues. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) You you don't. (laughs) I mean, most of us that come into the church have some form of emotional healing that God needs to do. I mean, we've all been through life. We live in a fallen world. We've been rejected. We've been pushed. We've been hurt. We've been, we've been all kinds of stuff in here. I mean, I, I could send the mic around and you could give me a sob story and we probably all sob together. Everybody probably could give a sob story. If you've got a sob story, raise your hand. I got a sob story, you know? A little, I got a mini-series. It's not just a story. It's a whole little epic thing. It could be like, it makes Lost look like, you know, nothing. Nine seasons, come on. I mean, it's going to at least take like 50 to get through my little story. But my point is, is that, you know, we all come in with that level. But I was doing some research on just like how, how what does health look like in the midst of unhealth? Enough, right? Because that's honestly what we're called to be. We're called to be health in the midst of unhealth, right? And so it looks like, number one, it looks like commitment. It looks like a commitment to a connection that is not based on that other person. God, isn't this sound impossible? Doesn't this sound like a tall order? Well, welcome to Christianity. Anyone that sold you something different didn't sell you what it actually was. It's love. It's perfect love. It's conforming to the image of perfect love. It's a free fear existence. It's an existence where fear has no place, any any shape, any place, any nook, any cranny that can actually motivate you. It's free fear motivators. Dear Lord. And for any of us to think that we've arrived in that, well, that's the first deception and the first repentance you've got to make. You've got to change your mind about that, that somehow you've arrived to this fear-free living status, <laughs> right? You know, and so it, it, 
it's awesome to, to, to come to that conclusion. But when you sign up for it, you're signing up for, that's why I love, I love this. I love what God is doing. I love what God is doing in the house. I love what God's doing through the book. I love what he's doing in my life. It is so hard. Repentance, anyone that tells you repentance is easy, lied. Now, I love things like Nate. I love supernatural repentance. I love supernatural mind renewal. I love some of the tools that God is bringing here to help us through the process. But ultimately, you know what makes it hard? Is that it happens inside of us. And it's an inner world issue. So you're dealing with emotions. You're dealing with attitudes. You're dealing with experiences. And then, you know, add in just the actual circumstances that are also involved in it. Right? I understand why some people just want to be drunk in the bliss all the time. And never want to sober up. You know? then you got to deal with yourself or if i was telling deb i think before service this morning it's like you know pre-awakening of some of this stuff is actually a form of happiness <laughs> you know because you're oblivious when you actually believe everybody else is the problem you know you're oblivious when you actually think you know that whatever is going on if it was just fixed i'd be fine But then when you awaken to the place where you're like, wait a minute, it's not really about what's going on. It's about what's going on in me. And then you actually have to deal with it. And then you have to kind of function in the midst of mind renewal. It's called an awakened lifestyle. Jesus lived it. God is awakened. Matter of fact, because he's awakened, he was the only one that could discern the hearts and thoughts and the intents of men. So I just want to encourage you. I know we just, you know, come out of Thanksgiving. We've got more family time coming up. We've, you know, uh, I, we've got all kinds of relationships in our lives. We've got things that are going well. We've got things that aren't going well. We've got circumstances that are going on that we wish were different. And we've got faith things we're standing for and promises of God that we're believing for. And, you know, I want to encourage you to keep going. I want to encourage you not to run. Don't run from the conflict. Don't run from the circumstances that look contrary. Don't run from the storm, right? Don't run from the diagnosis. Don't, whatever it is, whatever the giant is, but whatever the conflict is, whatever the you know, whatever the offense is, you know, whatever it is, let it be an opportunity for repentance. Let it be an opportunity to examine your thought life. Become a detective of your own heart. Investigate your motivations. Investigate those emotions. Do you know emotions you know, I mean, I, I get it. I'm word of faith. I mean, I came from word of faith. My heritage is word of faith. I mean, harness those babies, those emotions. You're not controlled by your emotions, by all that stuff. But I will tell you what I've learned. I have learned that emotions are an indication of what you believe. And with right believing, emotions are not a problem. And emotional healing is about getting your, your emotions back into a place where they reflect the heart of God. And where your emotions and God's emotions are the same emotion. Where you are compelled by love. You are constrained by love. You're moved with compassion. So I don't know, but I, I heard Mike Bickle. I read a book one time. I think it's called... Man after God's heart or becoming a someone after, I don't know, I can't remember. Um, I like Mike's books, a lot of them. I like The Seven Longs of the Heart. I like his books because he's like an intimacy with God person. But in this book, I remember what I was going to talk about. Um, oh, he was talking about how David, the reason why David was a man after God's heart is because he was a student of God's emotions. That stuck with me. That stuck with me. 
a student of God's emotions. And I know for years I, I medicated my emotions. You know, I, I wasn't taught. Most people aren't taught how to handle emotions or how to handle things like, because why our parents didn't know or we, you know, how do you handle rejection? How do you handle the things of life that cause negative emotions? What do you do with hurt emotions? What do you do with hurt feelings? How do you handle these things? And what do you do with it when the authority figures in your life are the ones that are actually doing the hurting? You know, so, you know, bringing those into the light, bringing our Bringing your emotions into the light is bringing your beliefs into the light. And so really, I'll stop with this. My my first suggestion is that no matter what that circumstance is, no matter what that situation is, when you're triggered, okay, when when you start to go into a non-awakened way of being, you're not aware of what's actually going. You're reacting. You're reacting to the situation. You are under the situation. You are in the situation, not above the situation. Okay, when you're in that place, the first goal is to wake up. (laughs) The first goal is to wake up and recognize, okay, my inner life, I have like this either, maybe it's an alarm, going off. Maybe I have whatever, whatever's going on, anger, whatever. It's like, okay. <laughs> Matter of fact, in therapy, they give you a feeling wheel. I used to make fun of the feeling wheel. The feeling wheel. How are you feeling? Because, you know, therapists, they all talk in such a comforting voice. And the feeling wheel. How are you feeling? I'd be like, I'm feeling mad. <laughs> feel a little mad about that. <laughs> you know, you just feel so stupid talking about the feeling wheel. Like, I'm going to punch the feeling wheel. You know? That's in the red part of the feeling wheel on this side over here, right? (laughs) And then, anyway, I am somewhat qualified to be talking about what I'm talking about. (sighs) Mama mama knows crazy. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Brian, don't you say a word. Um, Y'all wonder why he sits like this in service. No one look at my face. No one look at my face. Um, So I'll end with this. The goal, wake up. Wake up. Wake up to what's going on inside. Invite the Holy Spirit into that place. It is amazing what Holy Spirit will do. It is amazing what he will do. It is amazing the resource he'll put in your hand. It's amazing the conversation you'll have. He will send help. He's the best helper that has ever helped. He's the helper with a capital H. Man, help is help. You know, but he'll help. He is the freedom fighter, man. He is the the one that is right there, like with you in it. You know, when you, just with you, just to walk you in, guide you into all truth. And and it, and, and that awareness, I'm telling you, I'm ex- I mean, I'm getting excited. Not necessarily about the conflicts, but God, it's hard. Because here's the thing, it's not, and if you saw me, my life looks more peaceful than it's ever looked in my entire life. Like, I'm not in, like, these massive conflicts with really people. Uh, You know, for those of you who were last week, my dad called me on Thanksgiving, so, you know. So it's not necessarily about the the outward conflict. You're not like, whoa, she loses in all this drama. It's not that. It's the inward awareness. It's the inward awareness of how things, seemingly sometimes simple things, start to affect you inside. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to continue to pray for us. And I'm going to pray for you because I know there's all kinds of things going on. I know it. I know it by the Spirit. I'm I'm so thankful for a praying body. I'm thankful for the grace to be praying these three times a week. Glad that we're praying. encourage you to join in that. It's powerful if you're not doing that. So, Father, I thank you. Father, I just want to bless Danny Silk. Father, we just bless Danny Silk. We bless his ministry, Loving on Purpose, and we just speak an increase over him, his family, the anointing on his life. Father, thank you for the the sacrifices the Silks have made to even get this far. Thank you for the, the doing the right things all those times when nobody was looking, that now, Father, people are looking, 
And Father, we just, we just speak favor on his books and on all the resources that he has um, uh, put together. Father, we just thank you for increasing in influence for him and thank you that he's growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And I just thank you, Father, for every person that's connected to this, this house. The ones that are here today, the ones that aren't here today, the ones that are connected through the relationships of the people that are here, God. I, there's, a, there's a lot more people represented than the people that are in this room that are affected by what we're doing. We're talking about generational things being broken off of families. We're talking about all kinds of transformations that are possible just, just through the lives of the people that are sitting here. We're talking about transformed cities. We're talking about transformed nations. We're talking about all kinds of destinies and lives God, and I, I, I have just a little inkling of what that looks like in the spirit, but I know that it's huge. I know that's why you poured into 12 people, Jesus. You poured into 12 and you turned the world upside down. And so, God, I know that there's an amazing destiny and call on the people in this room, God. And I know that each one of them is in a season where you're doing something. And I know that they wouldn't even be connected here unless it had to do something with what we're talking about. <laughs> and so, God, I just breathe on what needs to be breathed on. I breathe on the rhema that they need. I breathe on the direction. I, I, I breathe on the, the, the wisdom. I breathe on just the courage. I just breathe courage into this family. I breathe um, just, just fearlessness into this family, God, to, 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 to stand and to stay and to confront and to grow and to transform and, and to, to be who you see them to be. And Father, I pray, God, that this would be a, a season of supernatural growth. And I also pray for patience, patience in the process. I pray, Father, for um, eyes that see. That I, I pray for the gift of discernment, God. Just the discerning of spirits, God. I just pray for that discerning of spirits to come upon us, God, so that we can, we can discern good and evil. <laughs> I, I, that we would be fully mature. Eating meat. <laughs> and growing strong. And, Father, I pray that we would all be a part of a solution not a perpetuation of the problem. I know that that's what you've called us to be. And I thank you, Father, for the chain reaction. I see these chain reactions that are happening because of your personal obedience. I remember at the beginning of last year, God said, every person's individual repentance is contributing to the whole. Father, I thank you that it matters our own personal repentance matters. And I thank you that it does affect the whole body. I thank you the way we think matters. And I thank you that we're willing to own it. I thank you that we're willing to own what belongs to us. And we're willing to learn what doesn't. Thank you for bringing wholeness. Real wholeness, God. Into our lives, into our families, into our relationships, God. Thank you for wholeness, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he bought it for us. Thank you that, that it, it, he fought that battle and won our wholeness for us. And God, I bless relational connections. I bless every connection in your life. Every person in here. I bless every relationship that you have. Past, present, future. I bless them in Jesus' name. And I, I just declare healing over connections that need to be healed. I release just the blood flow of Jesus through your bloodline. Hey, and I just declare whew, that you are being used by God and doing what daddy does and only what daddy does. You're not, you're not the solution. You're not the fixer. He's the solution. He's the fixer. And you're doing exactly what he's doing. And every one of those relational connections, God, no more, no less. You're not taking on responsibility that's not yours, but you're also not running from what is yours. And I just breathe on that and I say health and healing over relational connections, God. 
And I thank you, Father, for creating in this house a body that walks in wholeness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'll end with this and then I'll wrap up. You know, for me, my prayer life actually has become very simple. It's become all about wholeness. And here's the deal. I believe that destinies are like the fruit that comes out of a vine when you, when you are abiding in that place of wholeness. I don't think we have to strive for destiny. I don't think we even have to even, do you know what I'm saying? I, just, I, I think destiny is like the secondary issue. I, it's not about that. Just, just, you know what? The cross was going to happen. Why? Because God decided it was going to happen. Right? So I think, I think we can rest in what daddy's doing. The last part of the word he gave to me was, are you willing to just do what I do? Are you willing to just do what I do? It takes great faith to just do what daddy's doing. Because guess what? You know what he's doing sometimes? Nothing. That's a word. Or what he's doing, he's not telling you. Because it's not your job, and it's not your part, and it's not your time. In an orchestra, it's important that they follow the conductor. And he's orchestrating something on the earth. And we all have a part to play, absolutely. But we do what Daddy does. So, good stuff coming from the throne. All right, you're blessed.